Are you trying to squeeze the starting solid food stuff into your already busy schedule? Well, I have an all-in-one done-for-you solution that's going to take the guesswork out of feeding your baby. My online program is called Baby Led Weaning with Katie Ferraro. It contains all of my baby led weaning training videos, the original 100 First Foods content library, plus a 100-day meal plan with recipes like the exact sequence of which foods to feed in which order. So if you want to stop trying to piece all this feeding stuff together on your own, I would be honored if you would join me inside of the program. You can get signed up at babyledweaning.co slash program. Checking in about food allergies and introducing allergenic foods. And have you done peanut with your baby yet? Well, intact nuts and thick globs of nut butters like peanut butter are choking hazards for babies, but we want to get that peanut protein into your baby early and often in order to help lower the risk of peanut allergy down the road. My absolute favorite way to introduce peanuts for babies is using the Puffworks Baby Peanut Puffs. So When you hear puffs, like you're probably like, oh, those starchy little puff things. Like, no, no, no. Not the little ones that earlier eaters can't pick up. Those kind of crappy puffs from the store that have added sugar and refined grains and lots of salt. Uh uh. The Puffworks baby peanut puffs have no added sugar. They have just a smidge of sodium for preservatives, and they are the perfect size for baby led weaning. They're about the size of your adult pinky finger. So, you can, baby can pick them up, self-feed them, but they're so soft that they dissolve in your baby's mouth so you can introduce these peanut puffs even before your baby has teeth. Puffworks also makes a baby almond puff for the safe introduction of a separate allergenic food category. That's tree nuts. And now, finally, Puffworks put out a combo case. So it's half baby peanut and half baby almond. So if you want to grab one case, then you can knock out two new allergenic foods. We do these on different days, though. These are just the no-stress, low-mess way to get peanut and tree nut out of the way. So you can get 15% off everything at puffworks.com when you use the affiliate discount code BLWPOD. That's a new code. It's BLWPOD. Use that sucker at checkout at puffworks.com and get peanut and tree nut safely out of the way. If your baby's having one poop every four days and it's soft, then it's not constipation. Babies who are even weaning, some babies may have seven poops a day after every feed and, you know, and other babies can go once a week and then it's still normal. It's still soft. A lot of times babies are started on rice cereal. That's the first thing we put it in the bottle to thicken, which I don't recommend. A lot of times this is their first and only food that they're eating for quite some time. So rice cereal can be quite constipating. So the first thing I do is I tell parents, let's maybe switch to oatmeal, baby oatmeal, whatever oatmeal. That's a high fiber food. That's first and foremost. Hey there, I'm Katie Ferraro, registered dietitian, college nutrition professor, and mom of seven specializing in baby led weaning. Here on the Baby Led Weaning Made Easy podcast, I help you strip out all of the noise and nonsense about feeding leaving you with the confidence and knowledge you need to give your baby a safe start to solid foods using baby-led weaning. So you started solid foods, your baby finally started eating and swallowing and digesting some of those foods, and now your baby is constipated. What gives? My guest today is Dr. Rebecca Winderman. She's a pediatric gastroenterologist based in New York City and she literally knows everything about your baby's gut. Now, what I love about Dr. Winderman's work is that she uses a holistic and integrative approach in her practice. So she's not one of those doctors that's going to be recommending random supplements or jumping right to prescription meds, but rather she analyzes what in many cases in gastroenterology are going to be food and diet and lifestyle-related underlying causes 
to your kids' gut problems. So in this interview, Dr. Windeman is going to set us straight about constipation in infancy after you start solid foods. What's normal, what's not, what foods are going to cause what outcomes in your baby's stool. She's also going to share that you're going to see a lot of stuff in your baby's poop, but there's actually only one color of poop that should make you freak out. Dr. Winderman is on social media at Kids Gastro Doc, and she's here today to talk about constipation and what's typical for babies when they're transitioning to solid foods. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I know you're in between meetings. You're so busy. I really appreciate it. We have a lot of great questions. Like I have a bunch of questions that parents have been asking me. And then I have questions that I personally always wanted to ask a pediatric gut doctor. I know that's not your technical term. Before we get started, could you tell us a bit about your background and how you came to be known as Kids Gastro Doc? My name is Dr. Winderman. I did four years of pediatric residency and then I fell in love with GI or gastroenterology when this sort of like boom of research that was coming out around gut microbiome. And I was like, oh my gosh, it controls everything. And then, you know, the last 10 years, we've just had like an explosion of gut microbiome research that's come out. And I was like, this is the field I want to be in. Like, I can see this being like a holistic, you know, getting, getting down to like food and diet and lifestyle and all that stuff. And I was like, I was super, I was in, I was in. And then I started to do my fellowship and I realized there wasn't a whole lot on nutrition, even though it was a gastroenterology fellowship. And then at that point, I started to sort of do my own research. I graduated fellowship and I um, then became the director of gastroenterology at a, at a teaching hospital and sort of took the uh, holistic you know, food is medicine approach. So, you know, I'm pretty much known in that area of practice. So, you know, very integrative, very uh, holistic. I take a lot of patients off medication. So I've definitely found my niche within gut doctor, but um, that's how I've become known as, as kids gastro doc. Wonderful. And do you have children of your own? I do. I have a 10 year old daughter going on 30. She's fabulous. She was actually a premature baby. She was 29 weeks. And she was um, fed with parental nutrition. So through the IV and we weaned her off successfully, but yeah, I mean, she had her own gut challenges um, as a, as a baby also. So she was, how long was she on TPN for? She was on TPN for, I think six weeks it was. Um, And then that was so scary. And then, um, you know, we had like a necrotizing enterocolitis scare and that finally went, came and went and she actually came out pretty unscathed. She's, she's great now. She's, you know, a mile a minute, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've, I've helped like a lot of patients that have short gut. I have patients that come to me and see me virtually, um, across the country and the globe that we've really helped to transition them off of TPN, even with a short gut. So yeah, that's my MO. Can she eat all foods now? She's like good gut health, gut function. Yeah, she has an age appropriate diet. She loves plants. It's funny. We were at a Thanksgiving dinner and she was like, oh my gosh, Brussels sprouts. And somebody was like, what? Like, how did you get your kid? And she was like, it's a plant. It's good for your microbiome. And they were like, what? (laughs) So That is awesome. Yeah, she has it. She has it at home for sure. Okay. So I know she's 10 years old and it probably feels like a lifetime ago when she was starting solid foods, but can you take yourself back to when she was approaching six months of age and you guys were starting solid foods? Like what were some of the emotions that were going through your mind? That's obviously you know, you were probably at that point, I don't know if already practicing or at least interested in medicine or already a doctor, but then like, this is your first baby and you're starting solid foods. 
How did you feel? What did you do? Because that's where most of our audience is right now. Yeah. So, and interestingly, like I do work with a lot of, most of the families that I work with are coming to me with like the same thing. How do we, how do we get our kids onto um, solids? What are you, so many different recommendations, four months, six months, you know, my baby's spitting it out. My baby's having a skin reaction. What are we, what does that mean? You know? So I really help a lot of parents that way. But if I bring myself back to starting solids, I just remember being like, oh, great. Like, um, I can give it to her on a spoon. She's going to take it. It's going to be great. We're going to introduce one food every few days. That's how we learned it in pediatrics. And then I started to see, I was like, well, what, she doesn't really want to take it. Like what, you know, and I was like, maybe a different food. And I remember just being all over the place and not knowing there was no support around it. There was no, you know, baby led weaning, you know, around for me to sort of bounce off of. So it's definitely a nerve wracking experience, especially for a first time mom. And I feel those emotions when I see them in my clinic as well. It feels like years when you're dealing with, you know, an, an infant. It's like, oh my God, this week, the, you know, my baby took this and, and then the next day doesn't want it at all. Like I just, I, you know, I remember that feeling of like frustration. Yeah. It's like the emotional roller coaster from meal to meal. And we try to remind parents like one meal does not make or break your child's nutrition status, right? Like we're looking at long-term habits. And if more often than not, they eventually learn how to eat food, like you're tracking in the right direction. Yeah, it's so hard though. I remember as a parent, I was like, yeah, but you don't understand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'd be like, she loved it like that other day. And now she's not eating anything all day. Surely there's something wrong. And yeah, and maybe sometimes there is, but uh, patience and and calm in the home also is very helpful. Okay. So nerve wracking was something I heard you say, kind of lack of support. How did you get over the hump to like gain confidence in starting solid foods with your baby? I really just paid attention to baby. Like I paid attention to her and her cues. Um, if she was interested in it, I allowed her to explore it, you know, in a, in a, obviously an age appropriate way. If she was in a way that, you know, at a younger age, I, you know, obviously mushed it up. I grapes, I have trauma over being, you know, pediatric resident. We had a horrible incident with a baby that choked on grapes, but you know, everything cut up very small, but sort of like a very like laissez-faire approach. Like if, you know, if she was interested, I did it. And, you know, as a gastroenterologist, I see a lot of feeding disorders, even in infants and toddlers, because, you know, you get these like worried mothers and I don't blame them. I, I would start to do that myself where it's like they're playing or whatever. And you're just like running after them with the, with the spoon. And, and these are the kids that end up in toddler years really starting to have some issues and food aversions. So yeah little by little and, and letting her lead the way. We just had Shannon Goldwater from Feeding Matters on in two separate episodes talking about pediatric feeding disorder. And so it's like so wonderful to hear physicians using that term and being aware of pediatric feeding disorders and knowing about referrals and stuff, because you make a, a good point. Like you're personally interested in nutrition, but more than 90% of physicians in this country have never taken a dedicated nutrition class. And so to find a medical doctor who really understands nutrition science, but also like the real life applications of like, please don't stress these moms out about getting enough iron. And I know we're going to talk about iron today. And so for our audience, like those parents that are listening right now, they've either just started solid foods or they're getting ready to start solid foods, or maybe they've done a few foods and they're like, oh my gosh, my baby actually started digesting some of these foods. And now they're constipated. Typical constipation. What can parents expect? Like this baby is moving from that weaning period where they were going from 100% of their nutrition from infant milk, and now they're gradually getting more nutrition from food and less from infant milk. Why does constipation occur? And is it okay? Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I Let's just first define constipation because um, many parents and myself included when I was in that position think that 
you know, when, when you hear straining, um, that, that, that may be constipation. So let's just define constipation as hard stool. If your baby's having, you know, one poop every four days and it's soft, then it's not constipation. I know it sounds crazy, but babies who are even weaning, some babies may have seven poops a day after every feed and, you know, and other babies can go once a week and then it's still normal. It's still soft. And so it's really about the consistency. So that's just um, straight out. And then, yes, you're right. This period of time, this weaning, starting solids is a very, very typical common time for babies to start having some constipation, hard stools. Why does that happen? So, you know, a lot of times babies are started on rice cereal. That's the first thing we put it in the bottle to thicken, which I don't recommend. A lot of times this is their first and only food that they're eating for quite some time. So rice cereal can be quite constipating. So the first thing I do is I tell parents, let's maybe switch to oatmeal, baby oatmeal, whatever oatmeal, that's a high fiber food. That's first and foremost. The next thing that we, you know, when we talk about why, you know, babies in this phase um, often have constipation, you also have to realize like they're coordinating digestion. It's the first time babies are actually having to digest whole foods. And so sometimes, you know, motility isn't all there for every, everybody. We all have different motility. And so babies sort of developing that gut motility and learning how to, you know, digest the foods, break them down. Sometimes they have bloating, sometimes they're gassy. And it's sort of just like, challenging the gut to figure out exactly how quickly it should move, how much it should be digesting. And so sometimes what'll end up happening is it'll just be slowed down. And so it's just a factor of like, you know, maybe not what they're eating and maybe just the development um, stage that they're in. So that's one reason. And the other reasons, you know, obviously being, so we spoke about food, rice, cereal being real, people are really heavy on that. And I would say, you know, the next up thing is, is motility. And then, you know, another thing to consider, and while I say motility, I'd like to just actually get this out in the clear that moms should know exactly to the T that their baby has pooped within the first 24 hours of life. If a baby has not pooped within the first 24 hours of life, 95% of babies poop within the first 24 hours of life. That 5% have an increased, significantly increased risk of something called Hirschsprung's disease, which is a congenital disease of motility, meaning that the end of their colon does not contract and will not allow stool to come out. So the thing that I always ask parents, and sometimes like, I don't even remember, like, did my kid poop in the first few, like, yeah, I feel like you got a lot of other stuff going on. Like I got this baby out and then you immediately within the first day, I have to start worrying about stuff. This is crazy. And it's not the end. It's it's forever. Yeah. So just making sure you know for a fact. And, and if you don't know for a fact, you can always get your medical records and should from any hospital where your child was born. So uh, motility, food. Um, and, and yeah, I would just say, you know, paying attention to different foods in general about what baby's eating. Everyone's a little different. So I always ask parents to keep a journal and a log, like what constipates one may not constipate the other. So, you know, it's just sort of challenging that, that time in, in their, you know, GI tract of development. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I want to hear it from a gastro pediatrician doctor constipation is not an indicator that your baby can't digest that food. Is that true? Yes. And the same is true about looser stools during this period of time. Like my go-to, and I know it's so annoying for parents, is like if your baby is gaining weight and growing and developing appropriately, what we have on our hands here is likely not disease. It could be annoying. It could be, you know, a spit up. So I hear a lot also like it's, it's a laundry problem. It's an annoying problem, but it doesn't necessarily mean your gut is not functioning appropriately. 
So, and that's especially true if let's say we introduce a little bit of, of pear juice or a little bit of prune juice and the baby poops normally, then we know it's diet related. And, and sometimes I do that challenge while waiting, you know, to figure oh, out. I have better. a very well curated question for you about the juice because that freaks parents out. So thank you so much for explaining the typical constipation and like what you can expect. Can you talk about problematic constipation? Like what are the red flags that we want to be looking out for to know if the constipation the baby's experiencing is not that run of the mill that you would expect with a gradual transition to solid foods? Like how do we know if it's maybe something more serious? Yeah. So, you know, that's something to definitely keep track of. Um, and, and red flags, I would say for sure are, you know, stools that are, you know, very black, um, like we call them tarry stools. And that that is something um, to be concerned about. I would also say like stools that are so big that are sort of ripping the, the rectum or you, you see bright red blood streaks around it. That's, I would say something that's um, abnormal. And then any sort of constipation that we can't work around with diet is, is a problem like the, you know, but I would say 98% of constipation, like I could probably this today, I could walk into my waiting room and say, you, 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 all of you eight month olds, you all are coming for the constipation situation. Let's talk about it. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by better help. If you've been thinking about giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's a convenient, flexible, affordable, and entirely online experience. All you do is just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I used to think therapy was just for people who have experienced major trauma, but therapy can help you be at your best no matter what you're going through. So whether it's to learn new positive coping skills, set more realistic boundaries, or just show up as a better version of yourself, BetterHelp is here to help. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. If you want to live a more empowered life, therapy can help you get there and BetterHelp can help you. Visit betterhelp.com slash weaning today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash weaning and get 10% off your first month. And I want to point out that the eight month thing is of interest because even though you start solid foods at six months of age around there, you guys, plus when your baby's showing the other reliable signs of readiness to eat, because it's such a long process for the baby to learn how to eat, you're not always going to see the constipation right off the bat because they're not actually chewing and swallowing anything. But about eight weeks into starting solid foods is when it really starts to click for babies. And that's where they're actually starting to get some more dietary fiber in their body. And they're getting these different proteins and compounds. And you will see the constipation. So I love that you identified the eight-month-olds as the ones where this is really going to kind of crop up. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And they're also, you know, coming obviously off of formula at this point. So you're really seeing now we're talking about diet exclusively almost in, in, the, in the setting of constipation, right? We're no longer relying on fiber in the formula for that anymore. You're really exclusively relying on whatever baby takes by mouth. But yeah, it doesn't need to be juice. But I, what I like to do is I like to just give like, let's say two to four ounces for a week 
And then if they can stool normally, okay, we're not dealing with disease. Now we just have to tweak diet around a little bit. That's just a sort of like rule out for me. Okay. And I feel like I can ask you this because I know you do a ton of social media too. Like anytime you mention juice, parents are like, oh my gosh, that's child abuse. AAP says absolutely no juice for babies prior to two. And like, yes, across the board, we want your baby eating fruit and not drinking it. But we do know that certain types of fruit juice, because they contain a naturally occurring sugar, alcohol, that these types of fruit juice promote motility. So if you get stuck, a little bit of apple or a little bit of pear or a little, little prune juice, is that the end of the world if parents need it for constipation management? So I would say for parents that are hesitant around having, you know, fruit juice, um, you know, giving that juice, um, you know, off the shelf, I, there's always a way to do it. You can blend it. You can juice it yourself. You can cut it up into little, little tiny pieces. You can, you know, mush it around. Um, the one thing I will say with the purees is a lot of times people take the skins off before they puree it. And so I would just recommend throwing the skins into the you know, food processor, not ever giving anything with skin um, directly to, to a child. It's a choking hazard. Because you're getting yeah. that, you're, again, and it's apple, pear, and prune that just have slightly higher levels. So they, they will promote more, more motility. We're not talking about feeding your baby oranges, orange juice here, and you know grind up the skin. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend um, actually um, eating prunes themselves, even though some of them are very, very soft. But if you can blend them in the food processor and give them, you know, by, by mouth, that's fine also. But they're a little and difficult to manipulate. I, prunes are wonderful. But again, no sticky dried fruits for babies because they don't have the strength of their muscles yet to clear those from the roof of their mouth or the sides. But you can make a prune puree so easily, you guys. And I'll, I'll share a really easy homemade apple prune puree recipe with you in the description and the show notes for this episode. Make it yourself. It makes a great substitute for jelly too. Like if you have older kids and you do peanut butter and jelly, I love homemade prune puree because you don't have any added sugar in it. You can get it nice and thin, do it off of a preloaded spoon or out of an open cup. Your baby's getting the prune. But if you also just like want to resort to prune juice every now and then, it's not the end of the world. Now, can you talk about like if you're relying on this like daily? Because some parents are like, ooh, I got to do the prunes every single day or my baby won't have a bowel movement, that's a little bit of a, a band-aid, I would say, instead of maybe addressing the underlying problem while your baby's never pooping, right? Yeah, the same thing. So uh, first of all, I just also want to say, um, you know, many people are tempted to, to put suppositories and all that stuff. I, I do not recommend that. So I just want to get that out of the way. But if you feel your baby's dependent on any one thing to stool, I would say see a gastroenterologist because no matter what, any function, if you need something to function, it's an issue. You're having dependence on it. We need to sort of figure out, yeah, it's a Band-Aid. We need to figure out what is going on underneath that, that Band-Aid that's really not allowing baby to poop. Now, in general, food is not, it's difficult to become dependent on food. When we say it's a stimulant, it's not a true chemical stimulant, that a drug dose stimulant that we would talk about to stimulate bowel contractions and produce a stool. But I would just say this, I would say, start with, you know, once every few days and see how it goes, right? Like everything needs to be adjusted for every baby in a little bit of a different way. And I think paying attention to baby is so important and they will tell you and their stools will tell you. Keep in mind though, what you're feeding um, that day, you may not see in stool until 48 hours after, depending upon how frequently your baby stools. So try your best. I know it's hard to not make any real changes, obviously, unless there's a huge, you know, reaction or emergency or something, but try to hold off on, you know, throwing everything at, at the sink, you know, like it, for me, I always call it like Russian roulette parents come in and they're like, and I tried this formula and that formula and this and da, 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 da. And I was like, how long did you try a week? I'm like, oh, okay. I mean that, you know, babies need some time to sort of get adjusted to it. We're just introducing brand new things to this, you know, little body. 
I have seven kids. I have a singleton, a set of quadruplets, and a set of twins. And by the time I got to my twins, it's like, you've seen a lot of things. I'm not a medical doctor, but I have also like taken children to urgent care because they're so constipated and their abdomen is so distended. And I can tell that this child is not being themselves. And they literally just give you a suppository. And then I was like, hold up. Like I can buy this over the counter myself from a drugstore and not saying that you need to use it all the time. But like I have found on occasion for a six month weaning period, a baby might benefit from a suppository once or twice. Again, not relying on it every single day, but like, do you recommend that parents have suppositories on hands or at least know what they are? Cause like they just send you a massive bill after urgent care. And all they did was give your kid an over the counter suppository, which like just blew my mind. I also deal with it on my, as a patient, I'm like, oh my God, is this how it is? Like, I don't see any of that when I see patients. I just see the, you know, my front front facing, you know, system, but yes. Okay. Suppositories. Why I don't like them is because um, babies actually can become pretty dependent on them once in a while. Okay. But the question really is, if you got to the point that you needed a suppository, what happened before then? And then, you know, how long did we wait for that? And then also, I never want to get to that point. But so if I'm working with a parent, I, I always say, if you feel you need that reach out, I mean, I'm a different kind of doctor, I give my phone number to patients, my, like the one my mom calls on, like, yeah, just text me, we'll figure it out. But, you know, I would say sooner than giving a suppository, because they really can become dependent on those, you know, if somebody has a motility issue, a diagnosed issue, they need some, some patients need it. And, and then, but I want to diagnose that first. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, if you find yourself using suppositories every week, we have something to talk about. Can you give it once in a while? It's not recommended by our society. Um, you know, what I do sometimes say is like, if you can put some Vaseline and not even go up, but just like stimulate around like the little tush area, like that in and of itself can be very stimulating and can help babies push it out. But the suppositories I don't like because they force contraction oftentimes contract so much that they're pushing out a large amount of stool that wouldn't usually come out at that time all at once. And you can have some like tearing of the mucosa of the rectum. So I have to say no to the suppositories. Okay, love but, it. Um, Great segue into, into the Miralax question because we have parents who are like routinely like mixing Miralax in all their baby's food. And I'm like, are you getting very reliant on Miralax at which point you know, it's just like I used to work in older adult nutrition and they freaking love Metamucil. It's like, hey, Metamucil is an insoluble fiber. All it does is help like with your gut motility. Let's address the underlying problem of why you need so much Metamucil because your diet, your exercise, your fluid is off. If you're relying on that every day, is Miralax like the equivalent of that for babies? So that's a great question. So first of all, Miralax should not be given to any baby under the age of one. That is I mean, hands down for me, a recommendation. I mean, if you need Miralax for your baby to stool, you need to see a pediatric gastroenterologist. There's something going on there. So I would not recommend that. But when it comes to dependency, I mean, I get this question a lot. Like, I have to agree with you about the adults. Like, it is not a given that as you enter a certain age, like all of a sudden constipation becomes a normal thing. Like constipation is never a normal thing. And, you know, we got to adjust somewhere, food, something, movement, anything for that. So and, and the same holds true for babies, right? Like we can adjust, we can work together, we can work on, you know, so many different things before we do any sort of suppositories or Miralax. So let that out of the way. But when it comes to dependencies, um, you know, the reason that so many gastroenterologists love Miralax is because again, it is an insoluble fiber, but it's also just something that will soften the stool. So it just brings in water. It will not make your baby poop. So it doesn't have any motility aspect to it. And that's why 
everyone loves it. You There's no way to become dependent on it. And in fact, when we talk about even getting a little bit older or even getting to like potty training years, I don't know if this is at all your population, but it will be, all of your babies will become potty trained. So that's a different thing we're talking about because those kids, you, you can even withhold through Miralax. You give a, a kid a whole bottle of Miralax and they can withhold. So it's good and it's bad. We can use it long-term because of that. And then it doesn't always help us as a result of that. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I love that you mentioned that a lot of pediatric gastroenterologists, they do love Miralax. And like, instead of addressing the underlying diet stuff, like I love that you do have kind of the food as medicine and the holistic approach because you get the importance of the foods that we're eating. And, and if, again, if we're reliant entirely on white rice cereal, which you talked about it, you know, essentially being a refined white carbohydrate with absolutely no dietary fiber in it, from an arsenic standpoint, we know that every major health body recommends against regular use of rice containing foods for babies because of the potential for arsenic toxicity, a heavy metal. So there's Lots of reasons to do variety. And so I teach this 100 First Foods program where we help babies eat 100 different foods before the time they turn one. And parents will say, you know, from time to time, guys, heads up, you're going to see some remnants of these foods in the baby's stool as their gut's learning how to digest some of the newer foods. You mentioned it briefly, like don't go throwing everything at the kitchen sink and switching everything up. But is there any concern when you see, for example, corn in the stool or like bright red stools after the baby eats beets, like parents freak out, especially the beets because they think it's blood, but like the corn in the stool or the other foods in the stool, is that problematic? No, it's actually a great thing. It means your gut's working perfectly well. In fact, you know, the, that's, you kind of almost are, should be, you know, reassured when you see something like that it shouldn't scare you. Um, It should definitely be like, all right, my baby's God knows what to what to throw out, what to keep, and that's good. You know, a lot of times, like I said, your gut is really developing. It's it's learning how to digest, and while it may not digest it well, it went through it. You know, it shot out whatever it didn't need. Baby's still growing. Now, I would say this: if you start to see like mucus, oily stools, then I would say, you know, let's take a look. Let's see, there may be some digestion issues there. But in terms of solid whole foods, I'm okay. They're gaining weight. They're doing okay perfectly fine. You mentioned the tarry stools earlier. And I think a lot of people who've had a baby are familiar with this because if you took a prenatal vitamin, it had iron in it, you inevitably had some degree of constipation and your poop turns black. For babies who are on iron supplements, what sort of changes in the stool can parents expect to see? I'm so glad you asked. So yeah, you can see black stools. And not only that, if you go to test them for blood in the stool, they will test positive, which is also a very scary thing, right? Because that's what we're concerned about when we see tarry black stools is we consider what we call an upper GI bleed or a bleed from above, you know, in the stomach area, because as blood goes down, it gets digested by the GI tract and it becomes black. And so when we see tarry stools, we think, oh gosh, there's an upper GI bleed. We test it for blood. And so the, when patients are on iron, many times they'll have black stools and then we'll test it and we'll be like, oh, it's a cult blood positive. You know, baby's having a bleed. It's a problem. 
what I always say is, you know, with those situations is if you can hold off on the iron for one or two days and then test, if you're looking to test for blood, it should usually be negative if that's the case. But yes, lax stools can happen um, when you're on iron. But take a picture because we really appreciate that when you bring them in. That's what we say about allergic reactions. We take all the pictures, you guys, and document things too, because I know you think you're going to remember, but especially if you're concerned or a state of heightened awareness slash panic, like you might not actually recall all the details. So taking pictures and documenting these things is important. I want to ask you if I can ask a few questions that our Instagram followers asked when I said that I was interviewing you and we're talking about constipation. They have a couple really good questions. Alice W. wants to know, do probiotics help for babies? So probiotics do not help for most case scenarios, and I don't recommend them. I recommend having probiotic-rich foods. I recognize that most kids will not eat fermented foods, but certainly kefir, certainly yogurt, most yogurts have it. We don't recommend it. We used to think that it maybe at best was not um, was not helpful, but we've actually seen case reports of babies getting toxic or septic from them. Can I tell you how refreshing it is to hear a medical doctor who does a lot of social media not recommending supplements like probiotics? Like, thank you very much for having integrity in nutrition and medicine, because unfortunately, a lot of your colleagues do not. And they recommend blanket things across the board instead of acknowledging foods that are naturally rich in probiotics, and also the fact that the variety of foods you're offering your baby, that's the prebiotics. That's the food that's feeding the good bacteria. Don't go messing with a good thing, you guys. Yes. And you, we need to teach our gut, have like a balance of good and bad bacteria. Your gut knows what to do hundred percent. And I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, and I always tell parents, you know, the health industry out there is a billion trillion dollar industry. And the chances of you actually needing one of those supplements is so low that I would recommend against any of it, unless your doctor has recommended it like vitamin D or iron. I would say that's the only ones I recommend. And Jay Ziska 92 wants to know, can you share more about what the different colors of baby's poop means? Most of the time, all different kinds of colors, green, yellow, brown, even sometimes if it's a little red, like you said, with beets, um, as long as you know your baby had beets um, and it's not a recurrent problem, all of that is normal. The one kind of stool color that is absolutely 100% never normal is clay colored, pale colored, gray colored stool. That is indicative of a liver problem. And that is an absolute emergency. So that's my bit on stools. Total 13 wants to know, is nugget type of bowels normal? This is typical for our seven month old, unless we feed a banana. Um, time to feed more bananas because nuggets, stools, little pebbles are usually constipation. So, um, you know, have a banana or incorporate it. But is it true that if you do like, let's say your baby has nugget, 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 like pellet, 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 but then it's followed by a big soft blowout, like problem erased, problem gone, right? Like the soft blowout is the indicator that we've moved on. 100%. You're basically a gastroenterologist. <sighs> Stop it. You're basically a dietitian. Okay, heater 114. How long is too long between poops? My baby is super gassy, but can go days between poops. This is for a seven and a half month old. Yeah. So like uh, like we said, soft stool is good stool. So as long as baby's soft, some babies stool once a day, some babies stool once a week. As long as it's soft, um, I'm okay with it. Any more than like seven days though, I'm I'm like, all right, we gotta take a long one. That blows parents' mind, the seven days thing, because they're like, what? And you're like, but really like clinical constipation, isn't it like longer than seven days? That's when you would start to worry. And that's what most parents are like, oh, maybe it's only been three days. Yeah, I know. Well, the thing is like, right, there are people, you can stool every day and still be constipated. If you're having a little pebble every single day, then that doesn't count as a stool, right? So that's something to keep in mind. Also, the frequency is not as big of a deal to me as it is the consistency. 
All right, how about duration? Because Samantha J. Reyes is saying, how long should constipation last while we're introducing solid foods? Oh, that's a great question. Well, as long as you're introducing a lot of variety of foods, you shouldn't really be experiencing constipation for too long. Toddlers can still be constipated, especially if they adopt like your typical toddler's sad brown diet, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, think, I mean, babies are obviously not little adults, but I mean, in general, they're pretty resilient. And if you change diet around, you'll find that that the constipation uh, will acutely go away. But yeah, like chronic, I mean, then we're going to hit potty training, then we hit school age. I mean, these are all constipation, you know, it's a, it's a party, it's a constipation party. So Okay, Alice W., another question. She's seeing mixed information online. Shocking. Is yogurt and sweet potato good or bad for poops? Yeah, it really depends, right? Like if you have a cultured yogurt, like a highly cultured yogurt, then that would be good for constipation because you're introducing, you know, probiotics in there that can help break down things. If you're introducing highly processed yogurt, it's mostly milk, cow's milk, right? And that can worsen constipation. When it comes to sweet potatoes, sweet potatoes, blended with the skin are excellent for constipation as are sweet potatoes without the skin. They're an excellent source of fiber, but be careful because they get stringy and you can choke on them. So I would say only pureed. Hey, we're going to take a quick break, but I'll be right back. Besides baby led weaning, what other type of podcasts do you like to listen to? Well, if you're into true crime and you also dig traveling, I want to tell you about a new podcast you are going to love. The new podcast is called Slaycation, and it's a darkly humorous look at murders and mysterious deaths that all take place on vacation. So the show is hosted by a true crime fanatic and her comedy writer husband, and he has a TV producing partner. So Slaycation brings a totally unique perspective to chilling, thrilling, what the heck stories of vacations gone horribly wrong from the twisted tale of Harold and Tony Henthorn, whose romantic anniversary in the Rocky Mountains ended with one of them falling off a cliff, to Angelica and Vincent, their two recently engaged lovebirds, whose Hudson Valley kayaking adventure ended up underwater. Every episode of Slaycation will have you asking, accident or murder? But it's not just the stories that will intrigue you. I think you're going to love the discussion between the longtime married couple and the business partners. They also happen to be an Emmy-nominated TV producer's Every episode of Slaycation also includes humor and takeaway and travel tips that are going to keep your next family vacation from becoming your last. So if you're ready to pack your body bags, Slaycation is available on all major podcast platforms. Search for Slaycation on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Another question about iron foods. So how do you best serve iron-rich foods and not be constipated? Maybe you could talk about the difference between supplemental iron and food-based iron. In general, I'm really against adding, you know, supplements, they, you know, to diet. So, you know, the only time I say that is like, you know, vitamin D um, probably across the board. And obviously if you're breastfeeding exclusively, there's certain clinical scenarios where like, yes, breastfeeding exclusively, you get vitamin D, let's move on. But, you know, if, if, a, if a baby's severely anemic, yeah, I'll give iron, um, you know, as a supplement comes as a liquid, you know, like we were saying can cause black stools. But yeah, I try to really give iron rich foods. And so when we talk about that, like there are, you can puree like green spinach into stuff that that's iron rich. Um, 
And, you know, we talk about also different forms of banana. I always get this question too, like, is banana good or bad for constipation? So, you know, a ripened banana, you can throw that in there. It's so sweet. You can throw it in with anything. So dark leafy greens, like I would, I puree them with like the most like off, like going off bananas. Like it's crazy. Like, I mean, you wouldn't believe and and it's delicious. So yeah, I would say I always focus on dark leafy greens. Oh, this is wonderful. Thank you so much for answering everyone's questions. And tell us, okay, where can our audience go to learn more? Because like, I think people that like gut stuff are like, wow, I need more Dr. Winterman in my life. Yeah, I need more of them in my life. I love patients that are motivated. It's awesome. You guys teach me a lot too. And I love when people come to me and they're motivated. They Google, everyone hates Dr. Google. I'm like, oh my God, really? Where did you find it? That's great. Let's let's take a look. You can find me on every platform. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, and it's Kids Gastro Doc, K-I-D-S Gastro, so G-A-S-T-R-O Doc, D-O-C. And I have a website, kidsgastrodoc.com. And I on that website, there's a blog um, section and uh, there's tons of information, tons of articles I've written out about um, various kids GI stuff. So feel free. I read all of my DMs also. Not everyone does that. Like, I guess I need a personal assistant, but I don't have one yet. So I'll answer. Okay, Dr. Winderman, any parting words of wisdom? Parents who are just like, oh, I'm just starting solid foods. My baby is having constipation. What's like the one thing that you want them to keep in mind as they walk away from this interview? I would say easy does it. Take a deep breath. We only have to get through today. We'll focus on Tuesday. Then we focus on Wednesday. The truth is moms are more of doctors than I am. You know, you guys are the ones that spend so much time. So just just, you know, pay attention to baby. They'll tell you what's going on and you're doing a great job. You're here, you're listening. I mean, you you guys are amazing and, and this is what it's all about. So easy does it. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Likewise. Thank you so much. Okay. That was one of the longer guest episodes I've done in a while. All numbers point to, and everyone who helps me with my podcast is like, you need to do shorter episodes, but I can't When you have someone that interesting like Dr. Rebecca Winderman, and she is just in the zone about babies and pooping, like I had so, I ended up asking her so many more questions that were on the original question list, but like she was super cool and rolled with it. And I'm so glad that she got to answer all of your guys' questions from Instagram as well. Her social media is good. She's online at Kids Gastro Doc. I really, really like her vibe. I like that she is food-based, plant-based. She's straight up about, listen, I'm not going to tell you to go buy a bunch of random supplements. And I mentioned it in the interview, but like, that's pretty random these days, especially for a lot of even credentialed healthcare providers that are working in social media. So she's definitely one to check out if you like evidence-based information about your kiddo's gut. And I stayed on with her for like a little while, even after the interview. And I was like, do you, I'm so annoying, but like, do you mind if I ask you a question about one of my kids gut things? And like, she can not only speak very eloquently about babies, which that is a, a good majority of the kids that she sees in her practice, but she does bigger kids stuff too. So I think she's definitely worth someone keeping an eye on because your child's gut stuff will progress as they get older. And a lot of it is diet related, but she blew my mind with what's going on with one of my kids. I had no idea. And so she's a wonderful practitioner, such a warm person, so full of knowledge. I hope you guys will go check her out and support her work. I am going to link to all of Dr. Winderman's resources on the show notes page for this episode, which you can find at blwpodcast.com forward slash 348. A special thanks to our partners at Airwave Media. If you guys like podcasts that feature food and science and using your brain, check out some of the other podcasts from Airwave. We are online at blwpodcast.com. Thank you guys so much for being so heavily invested in listening for like 
literally almost an hour about constipation. You're the best. See you next time. <laughs>